today I'm absolutely thrilled to introduce you to Kathy Sharp Ross. It's interesting the three names represent what we were just talking about, the three continents that you've just lived on. Give us a little bit of background about who you are, where you come from, where you've been with your journey and where you're headed as well. Okay, thanks. Uh, lovely to be here and so lovely to connect with you. You're in one of my favorite places in the world over there in England. I'm a fellow uh, Commonwealther, so I'm an Aussie. I'm from Australia, grew up there when I was 10. Uh, my family moved overseas. We lived in Israel for four years. And when I was 14, moved to LA. So I still have a lot of Aussie in me. Um, I actually do a lot of business with Aussies. So I may sound more Australian now than I usually do, which is great. Uh, but I've been living in Los Angeles for the last 32 years. And I think that growing up the way I did, traveling the world as I did with my family, seeing that the world, you know, was not behind gates and in a box um, was probably the most wonderful part of growing up the way I did. I had a very entrepreneurial father, a very spiritual mother. I mean, my mom was doing yoga before anybody. She was, I was three years old and she was teaching yoga classes and wearing an arm symbol around her neck. So I had this incredible balance of, you know, really this entrepreneurial spirit through my father and this beautiful sort of Zen spirituality from my mother. And so I really attribute a lot of a lot of that to how I turned out. And I have two older sisters. And I think, you know, we've all sort of gotten the benefit of that. But I think it also gave me the ability to look at the world through, you know, just a lens of what's possible. And wasn't really aware of that until much later in life, but we moved around. I had to make a lot of new friends, a lot of different times and, you know, lived in more houses than anybody can possibly imagine. I think the greatest irony is that, that I have all the diaries from my youth sitting on a shelf in my bedroom. And given how many boxes got packed, unpacked, stored, moved throughout my life of my possessions, that's pretty cool to be able to say that those are still sitting right near me. Um, and I don't think I realized it, but it might have been the formative stages of my communication skills, my writing skills, my storytelling and expressive skills, and bearing witness to so much of what I did as a kid traveling and living through a war in Israel and, you know, things that just, you know, colored my background. Um, so I formed a marketing agency 32 years ago, pretty much straight out of college and uh, just started as a public relations firm and took on some really amazing clients and started working in a lot of in industries and verticals. And very quickly started expanding that because what I saw was that I wasn't just interested in writing press releases and putting clients in the news and in the media, but really building their businesses. And that was what was so intriguing and fascinating to me. And although I'm based in LA, no one is Hollywood as well. Um, I decided I wasn't going to be a babysitter for the celebrities of this, this town. Um, it was really about business that, you know, maybe we pulled in entertainment partners or represented studios and projects of theirs, which we did. Um, but really building business was so intriguing and fascinating for me. And I felt like I brought a fresh perspective to a lot of our clients and the businesses that we worked with. So I had the privilege of working on some incredible campaigns over the last 32 years um, and growing the business and expanding the offering of what we did by sheer 
curiosity and interest and constantly wanting to learn and wanting to grow and surrounding myself by an incredible team and really stretching, stretching what we do, how we do it, discovering ways to get there for our clients and working closely with them and have probably worked with, you know, some of the best of the best over the years in terms of businesses and brands and personalities and events and global tours and, you know, the magnitude from the World Cups and the Coca-Colas to the Quincy Joneses and, you know, just amazing things that we've been able to do. And also at the other end of the spectrum, working with small startup companies and, helping them find their way and helping them establish what their brand stands for, what their purpose is, um, what their brand DNA really is about and how to build a business, which, you know, they may be like, I always love to say that just because you can make a great meatball doesn't mean you should run a restaurant, you know, and some people are really good at that piece, but doesn't mean they have a clue how to build a business, market themselves, create the content, the messaging, you know, really get out of their own box, if you will. And that's an area where we've really excelled. I think what's really funny is that when I went to college, I wanted to study psychology and I took oh. Psych 101. And I walked out of that probably first week of classes and I said, I don't want to spend my life analyzing other people. What am I doing? And I switched majors to communications and business. And here I sit today analyzing people's problems. <laughs> so it's quite ironic. Um, by default, I think that that therapist, psychologist is in me. But it's probably where the impetus for everything around the subject of reinvention and the reason I chose to write this book, which is called Reinvent Your Life what are you waiting for, um, became like a really heartfelt and important project for me about 10 years ago when I had this sort of catalyst moment. A lot of people were saying to me at the time, you're so lucky, you live this fun life, you do all these fun things, you travel, you make money, you're always having a good time, you know, you've got this very interesting world around you. And I, you know, really kind of looked at that and I said, you know, it's not luck. It's been hard work and it was certainly by design. I got out of college and I said, I'm not going to put on a three piece, you know, suit and go work in an accounting firm like half my friends. I have a passion for people and building and creating and storytelling and just, I wasn't quite sure at that time exactly what that meant, but I had been exposed to the public relations business. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to go down that trajectory. It feels very me. And from there, within a year and a half, started my own business and basically built my own company. And it never stopped growing and expanding from there in terms of the disciplines, the types of companies that we'd work with. So I wouldn't call that luck. It was very hard work and has never stopped in 32 years. You know, when you own your own business, it's 24 seven, you sleep it, drink it, everything, every billboard you see, every person you talk to has some connection to something that you're doing in some way, um, which can be a really wonderful and beautiful thing. You just have to learn how to turn it off, how to tune it out a little so that you can also have a little of that Zen that you need <laughs> to keep going. Um, but when I sort of had this idea for the book, it dawned on me that a lot of people are not living the life that they wish they could live. 
And if you ask the average person around you, you know, walk into a restaurant or a room and, you know, you ask most people that question and people aren't really where they are, where they want to be. Um, they, you know, it's, it's quite rare that people are living their dream or living their, you know, their best life. And so it made me really start questioning, you know, was this something magic that I had, or was it that I made a very conscious decision at some point in my life to create what I wanted in my life? And everything that I did was geared towards that end goal and how I was going to get there. And a big word that I really, um, you know, zero in on in this topic is around feeling entitled. I think that we all need to understand the beauty and the importance of feeling entitled to live our lives the way we want. And with that comes a lot of other conversation because we all have people in our world and, you know, responsibilities and a lot of other things that go with that. But at a baseline, if we set those goals based on the fact that we're just allowed to have that and then figure out what that roadmap is to get there, that we can create what we want. And I think I've, look, I've been reinventing businesses for 30 years. So for me, it was about taking that sort of formula of strategy, roadmap, goal setting, um, you know, milestones, figuring out how to get from A to Z. And if you think about it, when you get in the car and you want to go somewhere you've never been before, you pull out that Waze, that Google Maps, you know, the GPS system to help get you there, but you've got to put that address in or the car is not going to know where to go. And you're going to have to make a few right turns and a few left turns and go straight and travel miles. And it's a journey. And there might be a bump in the road, road work being done, you get detoured, you have to kind of re, you know, the, 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 the map will recalibrate, right, and kind of reset itself and take you another way. And that's a great metaphor for what we need to create in our lives when we do set that goal and we do create that, um, that journey for ourselves. So there's been this incredible crossover in the expertise around the business side of what we do and how I'm able to help people apply that to their life or to their businesses, which is a lot of what we do, um, and really kind of figure out, you know, what do you really value and how are you spending your time? So that's kind of, you know, a little background or a lot of background on kind of my story and how I got to where I am today and some of the things that we're doing now around both the company and around uh, with my book launch that came out this year. That's a fab explanation. And I'm interested because you said 10 years ago, you had this realization. So you had the realization that you had forged your own path. What was it that gave you that? Can you remember a moment or was there an event or was there something that made you think, hang on, you know, I'm living a slightly different life to the people that did go and work in accounting firms. Why is that? Um, you know, it was a moment. I was actually sitting at dinner with a friend having this conversation and I was dealing with something in business. I was traveling and I was dealing with something in business that was a very defining moment where I was making a big decision about something and parting ways with the company that I was doing business with. And it's very empowering when we get to have that control and we get to make those choices. And we were discussing this over dinner and 
that was sort of that conversation where I realized, yeah, I said, you know, of course, this is what I'm going to do because this is what I want for me. And this is all I know. I do and create what I want in my life the way I want it. And that's what I've always done in running a business. And I said, it's funny because maybe, you know, people don't realize that they, everybody can do that, but a lot of people don't realize it. So it was sort of a very defining conversation. And I don't know why it came out of my mouth, but I just said, you know, I think everybody is entitled to live the way they want. And, you know, too many people aren't living their dream. And I'm going to write a book about that. So it just kind of, you know, that those words came out of my mouth for no apparent reason. Never thought about writing a book in my entire life, you know, as much as I love to write and and have done so as such a big part of my life and my business. Um, but it just sort of was one of those things where I was like, oh, that sounds like a really good idea. But it was really based on this, this concept of people always telling me how lucky I was. And I realized at that moment that it had nothing to do with luck. It had to do with defining my course and creating, um, you know, the life that I wanted by design and that we can all do that. And if we're conscious of that and we sit here today and say, what do I really value in life and where am I really spending my time? We start to get a picture of, you know, what what the journey ahead of us is going to be. And typically those two columns don't align for a lot of people. And then we wake up 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years later going, gosh, I wish I had done this. And, you know, I always wanted to be a rock star or a ballet dancer or play the guitar or travel, you know, the world or learn another language or do X, Y, Z for my career or be in this sort of a relationship or have a certain level of health and fitness. And yet we don't do anything about it because we tend to, you know, overanalyze it, procrastinate, you know, do all the things that one does to not achieve that. And typically people do that because they're afraid of failure and they're afraid that if they don't succeed at whatever that task or that kind of thing in their life was that they wanted to accomplish, they're going to feel like a failure and it's comfy just to stay where I am and just complain about it or wish that I had it. And I think that says a lot for the way we have to reframe the word failure because failure is really just a word. And frankly, if we can figure out how to have a different relationship with that word and understand that failure indicates that we've actually tried something and maybe it didn't turn out exactly how we planned but pat ourselves on the back for even trying and reward ourselves for the little steps we made towards that and figure out how to now kind of use that baseline as the next step and the next baseline as the next step that we kind of wake up, look, it took me 10 years to finish this book. That's just wrong. I mean, the book is not that long (laughs) and it's got 30 interviews in it, but it didn't take that long to do all the interviews. And I was raising a family. I was running a company, a global marketing agency with clients all over the world and demands 24-7. And it was kind of my journey. So it's like, really, nobody else cares but me how long this is taking. And in the meantime, I created content and blogs and I wrote for Thrive and HuffPost and did panels and workshops and keynotes and social media and, you know, kind of had the content in the world and had a following and I was engaged in it. And frankly, it ended up really fueling what I was doing. And 
for me, it kind of felt like it's got to happen at the right time. And this, God knows, this is the right time, ironically. Um, yeah, to have a book like this come out the week before we were all told to go home and stay home, you know, eight months ago was not exactly in my game plan. So I think it's, you know, it's important that people give themselves some grace and trust in themselves and their beliefs in who they are and what they want out of life and feel the entitlement to create what they want from their lives. Interesting. One question I have. So when I'm in LA, my husband and I often talk about this. We say we feel the sense of possibility. We feel that opportunities are open in the US, particularly on the West and the East Coast, in ways that is not necessarily the case in other areas of the world or in other economies or in so do you, where do you do you see this applying to a particular population or do you think anyone can I think look I think there are so many degrees of our whole self spiritual emotional health relationships hobbies careers every one of us is made of all of these pieces and I believe that reinventions come in all shapes and sizes. And there are five-minute reinventions and there are 10-year reinventions. I mean, if I hadn't kept putting one foot in front of the other every day, week, month, year towards the goal that I had for myself, I wouldn't wake up and say, oh my gosh, look, I have a, a book. <laughs> How did that happen? Well, it happened because I stayed committed to it. And the beauty of self-publishing for me was that I had nobody else's deadline. God knows I've got enough deadlines in my life. You know, it was kind of fun to sort of, this is my thing and I'm going to do it my way. And that's kind of always been, you know, I'm like the rebel without a cause. But I think we have to allow ourselves, A, the belief and B, the grace to know that there's, there is something in our lives that we want to just tweak. You know, we have these aha moments, but are we really listening to ourselves do we really believe that we're entitled to have that, do that, be that? And I think that the moment we understand that we are, that we've got to own that. And so I do believe wholeheartedly, and I've been challenged and questioned this so often, you know, it all sounds great. You've got a business, you can do what you want. Well, you know, A, yes, it's been extremely hard work and 24-7, but I think no matter where you are in your life, if you're a single parent of two children working two jobs, it doesn't mean you should stop dreaming. It doesn't mean that one day that little chocolate shop that you always dreamed about having on Main Street isn't a possibility. So now you got to figure if you believe it's a possibility, how in 10 years or 15 years or when the kids grow up, is that going to be your plan B or C or D or whatever that is? So how do you get there? Can you do research at night, at midnight, when the kids have gone to sleep and right before you fall asleep for 30 minutes instead of watching a show on Netflix? Can you put $5 a week in a coffee jar for 10 years and have money? Can you mentor and go in for three hours and ask a friend to watch the kids on a Saturday afternoon and ask someone to keep an eye on the kids while you go volunteer in a chocolate shop so you can learn more about it? So I think we tend to make excuses for things when, you know, there's a challenge, 
there's circumstances and I'm not saying they're not legitimate, but the old adage where there's a will, there's a way holds so true. And I truly believe that. And I believe if we allow ourselves to think we're entitled to have that, the fear, the failure, those excuses, those things that are those huge roadblocks, we've got to figure out how to chip away at those because then we'll get to the other side and we could wake up going 10 years later, wow, look what I look what I am doing. And I never thought this was possible. And I think that, look, the beauty of the book is that I incorporate 30 brilliant stories of amazing people who share their stories of adversity, challenges, you know, opportunity. They're not, you know, tragic stories. Frankly, I'm a believer that, you know, you do this when you're in a good place and make it better. These are not like gosh, my life was falling apart and this happened. Um, and when you see that other people can do it, you feel very inspired and encouraged. And they're everyday people. They may be hugely successful in their worlds and in, in what they've accomplished. But in reality, when we see other people do that and we can relate to that, yeah, we kind of figure out that if we really want it, we, we know we could do it. There's a it's really a good book on that called Mirror Thinking. <laughs> ah, let's talk about your book. No, no, no. That's not. <laughs> I was just, no, I, I, I love the way you broke that down to a practical example, though. I love the way you explained it in terms of someone who may not have loads of money and may not have loads of resources or capabilities, what that could look like. And I think that's often yeah. where people get stuck is the well, there's A, not being able to see people who've done that. Like No one like me has done that. So how? what am I right. to think I can? Right. right. And whilst, you know, rule breakers like you and Shelley will get on out there and oh, do yeah. it. The troublemakers. Um, the troublemakers. Not everyone has that edge. But I think, like you've, like you've said, it's the, the small iterative steps towards it. And it's the not giving up let's keep going one foot in front of the other and understanding something else you said earlier was understanding your values. And I'm, I'm a strong believer in that. There's a lot of psychological research behind it. If mm. you can really connect with and understand your values, we all have a value set, but how much are we living by that value set? Like you said, it's the two columns. And often we're not consciously aware of what those values are. We have to sit right. and think, and there are various exercises that you can do to think. I mean, one of the easiest ones is what really annoys you, because if something really annoys you, the chances are it might rub up against one of your values. But how much am I living out those values in my daily life? Um, and that could be I'm a hospital porter, but I would prefer to work in a school environment, being a janitor in a school environment, because I love kids. So you know, it doesn't have to be the lofty, and like you said, the ordinary people, it doesn't have to be these lofty ambitions. And I always say to people, you know, finding your purpose and your meaning in life is not an easy thing to do. It's not a quick fix. It's an evolutionary process. But I think that purpose and meaning doesn't have to be grandiose either. So my favorite person in terms of purpose and meaning is David Attenborough, because I think you can see that throughout his career, he yeah. wouldn't have known that when he is 92, he's sitting on a sofa on TV talking about his career. But he has fulfilled his values and his purpose throughout his career. And that career is meandered, but it's always been on point that he wants to communicate about the natural world. But that doesn't need to be what someone else says. You know, it could be, I love having a beautiful garden. Exactly. 
that brings I want me to speak joy. Italian. I want to learn how to ride a bike, which I've never done. Like there were so many pieces of a gorgeous story. And it's funny because it, the metaphor that I used when I first started out in all of this, I found my guy, I call him my poster child for, for this story. Um, I always had this metaphor for the man in the corner office, grainy black and white image of him, you know, hair disheveled, tie, necktie, you know, strewn open, miserable at the age of what, 40, 45, just going, oh, you're like, what am I doing with my life? And you ask him, what did you want to do? And he said, I wanted to be a rock star when I was a kid. Well, he's far from it. He's not picked up a guitar since he was 12 years old. And, you know, I always had sort of this metaphor of this story of, you know, we'll go out, get a guitar, get the guys down the hall who all feel the same way, and put a rock band together and play on Saturdays and do a garage band. And you will nurture your soul and you will probably not even think twice about how you feel when you come to work on Monday. I found a guy, he's one of the stories in the book. His name is Scott. He worked at a big toy company, long story short. We met on a plane going to the licensing show, the international licensing show. And he had this big case in his hand and he was getting on the plane. And I said, what's in the case? And he said, it's my violin. I said, why are you taking a violin to the licensing show? I'm thinking he works for a toy company. It's probably some cool new toy they're going to show. And he says, it's my violin. I decided last year that I wanted to learn how to play the violin. So I went on eBay. I bought a violin. I went on YouTube. I started to take violin lessons. And every day I go to the park across the street from the office at lunchtime and I practice. And when I travel... I take it with me. I ask the manager for a spare meeting room so I don't bother the neighbors in my room. And I play because it gives me joy. And I just thought, this, this is it. This is what I'm talking about. That's you nurture your soul and bring things like that into your life that a give you a sense of control, a sense of passion that, you know, nurture your soul the way it needs to be. And that nine to five job may not be a big issue. I mean, look at, you know, respectfully to all our fabulous men out there, you know, it's not a midlife crisis. It's just a cry for reinvention. So figure it out, find that thing that is going to give you that sense of purpose, that passion, rekindle something in you that one of my chapters is called, hello, are you still in there? Like, you know, what happened to that, you know, dream of being a fireman, a, you know, a, a dancer, a guitar player, whatever that was, and find a way to either bring part of that into your life in some way or find a new one. And, you know, that's also where people are challenged. You know, they've been working for 30 years, they've raised kids, they're going, I don't know what my passions are. Like, I know when I look at social media, what I'm envious of that everybody else is doing, you know, that's a big one for a lot of people now that's sort of creating that FOMO. Um, it's, it's about kind of figuring that out. And it's also about listening. I mean, at the core of all of this is listening to ourselves and we don't do it enough. We're bombarded 24 seven with so much stimulus from the outside world and with the phones in our hand 24 seven, that we're barely making space for ourselves to just tune in and be introspective and listen and hear ourselves, let alone act on it. I totally and utterly agree with you. And my last guest was Dr. Tasha Urich, who's um, New York Times bestseller and um, yes. 
TED Talker on yes. self-awareness, which is that, to your point, it's understanding how, it's also understanding how to go about exploring ourselves because as a psychologist, I'd say there's two ways. One is quite, is actually quite dangerous because it can lead you down rabbit holes and create rumination and get you tied in knots. And the other is very, very constructive. And Tasha puts it very simply, it's asking what rather than why. So with the outside world, we can examine and we can fix things, but with the inside world, we can't fix things. And when, the more we try, the, the tighter the knots become. And so rather than saying, why do I feel like this? It's what do I feel? And what does that tell me? Very simple. You know, what's, it is. And what's so funny is I talk about the importance of why on the other side, which is why do you want to reinvent your life? Why do you want to seek out some dream or some passion or some something new that will take you, you know, because the why is what reminds you. So it's a different why in a different column, if you will. But it's the why, because of the why is what reminds you every day when you get up, why you want to make time for it, why it's important to you, why you're doing this to create some different end result and end game for yourself. And so it's interesting to hear that because that that's where the why fits in. And, and yeah. you know, there's lots of research. There's lots of examples like Viktor Frankl, who wrote Man's Search for Meaning, uh, in the concentration camps, he mm. saw that being having been in there himself, he saw that the people that survived were more likely to have a sense of meaning and purpose. Simple mm -hmm. as that. And obviously, yeah. there's been loads of research done since. There's a another American, Todd Kashdan. He's a professor who's written some brilliant work on meaning and purpose, mm. and how powerful it is. Like you say, it's that. It's like you referred to earlier when we were talking before we came on, it's the anchor. Yeah. And it's, it's like you say, it's the why that pulls you through. So yeah. it's not the why of going, ah, why am I thinking this? Why do I feel Right, it? exactly. No, that that's sort of the introspective moment versus the, okay, I've figured that part out. <laughs> now, why do I want to create this for myself? Yeah. And that's really important. And I think that, you know, it can sound like a very daunting task. But if we break it into bite-sized pieces and we start to kind of allocate all the different components and then this kind of is where the business strategy comes in, you know, we have to kind of be the strategist of our own life. We have to define our personal brand. We have to figure out our strategy to get there. We have to also create the reward mechanism. We really need to learn how to pat ourselves on the back for the small victories. I did that research. I made that one phone call. I wrote one paragraph today, uh, you know, whatever it is, we have to sort of look at that and go, wow, in my big, crazy, messy life, I made a minor step towards something that's putting me close to that goal and pat ourselves on the back, eat a piece of chocolate, do a happy dance, do something, call a friend, like recognize and reward ourselves that every step towards that is of such great value to us and pat ourselves on the back for that. And I think that ongoing habit is what's going to continue to keep pulling us through and not give up on it. Absolutely. And from a brain chemistry perspective, that that rewarding yourself reinforces that behavior. Yeah. But exactly. apart from that, at a very simple level, 
it's not simple it, it gives you a sense of hope yeah because if you actually give that moment and and a sense of gratitude as well I yeah. think yeah. rather than rushing on to the next thing which we're all guilty of right uh, and it I, also a sense of, con- of control and I think we all want to feel God knows especially now in our world we want to feel a sense of control. You know, there's a lot of going on around us and people and responsibilities and jobs and all kinds of stuff that's going to pull us in 50 different directions. But to be able to do something for ourselves and have full control over it, no one can take that away from you. And that's a very powerful thing. And what I love about your book is that it's based on stories because they're real life case studies, if you like. And, you know, I can sit here and I can say, well, this piece of research says that, and this piece of research says that. But we know that really we need to be able to envisage it through other people's stories to be able to envisage it in our own mind and what that looks like for us and see what challenges people overcome and see where there may have been hurdles that they've got over or opportunities that they may have missed but they just spotted and they just got in there and I think that's what's really powerful about the fact that your book is made up of these stories like real life stories because it provides that provides the neural mechanism (laughs) to enable someone to, to, to understand what that looks like yeah yep definitely it's, it's quite the journey. And I think, you know, even with what everybody's been going through, I mean, this, the great irony of the last eight months, and sadly, you know, it's sad that it's taken a pandemic to open so many people's eyes to what's possible, but it's enabled a lot of people to kind of push the pause button, whether or not they liked it. Um, I think we've all in one way, shape or form had to deal with some version of that. Um, I think some have been invited into an amazing space and the opportunity to create and sit back and reflect and assess and reassess what's going on in their life and what's around them and what they're doing. And others, of course, have been forced into that. But there's been a little extra time handed to everybody in some weird, crazy way, right? So we're either not commuting two hours a day or we're not going out to meetings and dinners and drinks every night or we've not been able to commute to school or whatever it's been and been kind of forced to hunker down a little and look around us and say, okay, this is my life. This is where I live every day. These are the people in my life. This is what I do for a living. Do I have a job? Was I furloughed? Am I an entrepreneur? How am I going to survive? Am I really doing what I want to be doing? I mean, all these questions, when you go back four or five, six months ago to what we were all dealing with and that, that cyclone that we were all emotionally kind of in the middle of. And I think from that, we'll hear it over and over again of the silver linings and the opportunities. And I planted my garden and I rebuilt the shed and I cleaned out a closet and I wrote a book and I listened to music I've never listened to. Like you're hearing these stories and that says a lot to us because we're not giving ourselves the time to explore that. Hello, are you still in there kind of conversation? And I, I, right? I must say that when I looked through the, the chapters of your book, that one really stuck out for me as well. One of my favorites. Because it resonates. Yeah. And, and, you know, it doesn't mean we've got to go back to who we were when we were 12 or 15 or 18, but it does mean that we have the right to question 
when we've gotten so crazy, you know, hair on fire life that we live, we don't have the time to even think about it. I mean, you know, I was never at home. I was either traveling, always out in meetings, business, what have you. I've been in my home, you know, practically for eight months. I've seen dirt on the floor I never saw. I saw, you know, walls that needed to be repainted. I've seen messy cupboards that I just kind of never had the time to notice. And I think that's kind of a metaphor for what we've all been through on some level in our lives, whether it's introspective or physically in the homes around us or the relationships around us. I mean, it's been a bit of an eye opener for all of us and an opportunity to just sort of say, well, what is it that I want with my one beautiful life? To quote Mary Oliver, you know, it's, it's really an opportunity and we can act on it quickly. We can act on it slowly. I think there are so many parts of our lives that we get to reinvent and it's, it's ours to do with as we like. We are the center of our own story. I love that. I really do. And the metaphor is fantastic of the uh, metaphor of the house and noticing the dirty walls and things that we're too busy usually to notice. It's, just, it's the same. It's the same in our own mind is missing the the, the buildup of worry and anxiety over something or missing, you know, just letting it sit there and not actually saying, do I need this? Is this helpful? Or missing the opportunity to do the things that we really love. Yeah. Um, I mean, I sat down and played the piano for the first Aww. time in probably a year last week. I thought, come on, Fiona, you know, we've been in lockdown and still not even played the piano. But and I, how divine did that feel the moment you hit the keyboard? I'm, I'm a piano player and I, my oh. mother-in-law has a piano. And so when I go to visit her, and it's funny, like I don't always see the piano. It's right there in the living room. It's a baby grand, but I don't see it. And you sit there on the bench because you're having a conversation and you whirl around and you're like, play for Elise or Moonlight Sonata or Elton John and you're like music's amazing Um, yeah but I love the story as well that you told of the the guy who carries his violin around I think yeah that's just beautiful yeah it's it's it says so much about you know and, and having talked to this guy for five or ten minutes you know when we first met before this happened you know it was like who would have thought And I love that. I love the surprise of what came out of his mouth and what he was carrying. Like that just blew my mind. And I was like, you, I need to interview you. For I go, you're my poster boy. This is my story that I keep telling about the guy in the corner office. So I think, you know, and there are so many versions of that, you know, having that reinvention in your back pocket, being prepared for, you know, what you don't see coming knowing that one day the carpet could get pulled out from underneath you in so many different ways and sort of always being aware of what you can create in your life and not just letting life happen to you is, you know, a very empowering feeling and believing that, you know, you can have that. Mm-hmm. And there's a there's an Alice in Wonderland quote, which I'll get wrong, but I was talking to someone about something similar just a couple of weeks ago, and they quoted it at me. It's basically, I think Alice says to the Cheshire cat, which way, which path am I supposed to take? And he says, which way are you trying to go? And she says, I don't know. And then he says, well, it doesn't matter then, does it? And it's that. Love that. But it's that, you you know, do you you want to choose? Of course, there are things we can't choose in life. We can't choose 
our health goes down the drain or if yeah. you know, loved one is taken ill or but there are a lot of factors that we can choose and that with that are within our control that we never take the time to as you said press pause and just reflect and think right. what what are they what are the things that really fuel me that excite me that engage me and like you said it doesn't have to be all day every day even you could say I have to keep on doing this job because I don't have you know I'm too whatever reason I, I have to keep doing this job but that doesn't mean I can't do take up a new hobby at the weekend exactly exactly yeah. And I think, look, if we, if we have children, it's an amazing and valuable lesson for them to learn. If we're becoming empty nesters and all of a sudden we have a chance, you know, think of all the hours and time that you said, oh, if I didn't have kids, I'd be doing this and I'd be going there. And well, guess what? When the kids leave, reset, <laughs> no excuses. Now's the time to actually get to do all those things. So, you know, you get to sort of really question what's in chapter two or three for you now that you've been wanting to do. And that's kind of a really fun period of life. I think I've talked to a lot of friends, you know, off the ledge when they've been freaking out about their kids leaving home and what am I going to do with my life? And they've been everything for the last 20 years and now they're going off on their own. And it's like, yeah. And what are you going to do? You know, this is your life. So there's, there's a lot, there's a lot to rethink under this topic of reinvention. I, I mean, I absolutely love talking to you. I'm, I'm sorry that we don't have longer, but for now, can I just say thank you so much for your time? Thank you so much, Fiona. Such a pleasure. 